Did Pastor Jeff tell you I would be preaching this morning? Okay, so you don't, you don't feel tricked today. So you're here because you love me. Um, please pray for me this morning. I've still got some congestion going on. We have had a very difficult time at our home. Uh, all through Christmas season, we were sick, running fever. I, I didn't know so much mucus existed in the human body. It populates at a level that I can't imagine. But anyway, we're here, and just pray for me um, as I bring forth the word this morning. I really believe that the Lord has put something on my heart that's near to his heart. I really do. I believe that that um, what the Lord has uh, this morning um, is something that's near to his heart, and we need to be we need to pay attention to, to what the Lord cares about. Amen. I, I really believe that, that the message today is not just uh, for those that are hearing it, but for those that are preaching it <laughs> uh, this morning. As, as, I, as I put together this sermon last night, I was just walking around and praying in here, and I just, I just began repenting, you know. As you see what you're about to preach, and you look at your own life, and you say, wow, Lord, I need this. I need um, to hear what, what you're... What, and, and, and I've, I've gotten off track. I, I've, I've missed the mark in, in certain areas. So um, just pray for me this morning that I don't cough all over the place and, and all of that. And um, we'll go and see what happens. Um, but uh, Pastor Jeff, uh, a couple of months ago, gave me his, uh, his uh, introduction notes uh, saying, hey, this is kind of the direction that we're going for um, in um, 2020. And he said, I'm not trying to tell you what to preach, but here's, here's some stuff that this is kind of where I'm going. And after I read that, I said, well, what can I steal? You know, what can I have off of these notes? Um, and he said, well, I'm going to preach this. I just thought this might help you. And so, uh, but, but the Lord did put, had something already on my heart that, that seemed to go right in line with the direction that Pastor Jeff is going. The Lord's good like that, isn't he? And uh, as I begin putting this together and as the sermon began developing, I thought, wow, this is this is appropriate, and and so um, as I as I look at the, as I as I begin thinking about what a believer is supposed to look like, you know, because we we hear sermons all the time on what we should do and what we shouldn't do, right? Um, but what what does a believer look like when they are operating at a high level, when we are fulfilling purpose, when we are fulfilling destiny, when we're we're walking out destiny? What do we look like? What do we look like? And I believe Pastor Jeff touched on this just a little bit last week. But the goal is the fruit of the Spirit, right? The goal is the fruit of the Spirit. Is that a believer that is, in theory, operating at a high level is operating with the fruit of the Spirit just demonstrated in their lives. And notice that it doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. You ever notice that? It doesn't say fruits. It says fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Meaning... We don't pick and choose what we're good at, that as we move in close to the Lord, something begins to develop in our lives, and that something are nine different things, right? That something isn't just that, hey, I'm loving, hey, I'm patient, but I'm not very good at self-control, or hey, I'm, 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 I'm kind, but I'm not very patient. We don't, we don't pick and choose. The, the idea here is as a believer, when we move in close to Jesus, we become these things. These things develop. They are a byproduct. They are a product of a, a, a closeness with Christ. And, and, and fruit isn't something we try harder to get, is it? 
It's not saying, hey, I need to be more loving, so I need to try harder to love because that person really tests my patience. I need to try harder. I need to, I'm going to resolve to love more this, this year. No, that's not how the fruit works. The fruit works is that we get closer to Jesus, and it develops as a result of that. It develops as a result of our, of our relationship with Christ. And Jesus gives us some further insight here in Matthew chapter 9. If you go to your notes, turn to your sermon section there. Um, Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So notice something here. There's, there's, there's several things to note here. But when Jesus saw the crowd, he saw the need and immediately turned to his disciples and said, pray. Notice that. Note, when Jesus saw the crowds, he saw the need. The size of the crowd wasn't the goal. Jesus didn't look at the crowd and say, wow, look how many people have come to hear me preach. Did he? Jesus looked at the crowd and said, wow, look at the need. So the size of the crowd isn't the goal, is it? Don't get me wrong. We'd be thrilled if this place was packed, wouldn't we? If we had to go get all of our extra chairs out of the storage and, and we packed this house out. But can I tell you, that is not the sign of success. A lot of people, a big crowd, that's not the size of success. Notice what has Jesus' attention. Not the size of the crowd, but the size of the need. Not the size of the crowd, but the mission. I, I, I believe that, that Jesus is, is more concerned with the number of people in ministry than the number of people in attendance. I believe he's more concerned about the people who are actually involved in the mission than, than how many people are at relevant church or how many people are at any given church. The, the crowd wasn't the goal. That wasn't the fruit that, they, that Jesus was after. It was the mission. And people want to gauge success by how many people are in attendance. But God gauges success by how many people are in ministry. How many people are laboring and doing the work of God. And the harvest, listen, I, I believe the harvest isn't just representing lost people. For years I, I've looked at the harvest as this big lost world and we've got to go out there. But, but get this, it's not just lost people. When you go out and work the harvest, you're bringing stuff in. There are things that are ripe and ready to be harvested. So the harvest represents people whose hearts are open to the message of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, wow, there's this huge crowd and these people are harassed and they're helpless. And they're like sheep without a shepherd. He's saying, pray earnestly that laborers would go into this harvest. Why? Because there are people who would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus if given the opportunity. That's the plentiful harvest. He said the harvest is plentiful. That, that has to indicate that there are plenty of people that, that are open to the gospel of Christ. It doesn't just represent this lost world. The Bible's clear that most people will reject the message of Christ. The Bible's clear about that, 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 that large is the road, or, or large is the gate, and large is the road that leads to destruction. And many people will go down that road. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few people will find that. So the Bible is clear that, that, that there's only going to be few that really, in the grand scheme of things, that really accept and embrace the message of Jesus Christ. But the harvest is plentiful. 
There are people who will. There are people who will if, if, if they're given the appropriate chance. The harvest isn't just lost people. And we can't be deceived into thinking that if we don't go labor that someone else will. We can't be deceived because we're not guaranteed that. I heard a minister say the other day that just, it just rings so true in my spirit. At first, it kind of, I, did, I disagreed with it, and then, and then I, I, I molded over a little bit. And I thought, wow, this, this is something we need to believe. He said, you are God's plan A. There is no plan B. And I thought, wait a second. How do you know that? But the truth is we don't know. We don't know, and we have to live believing that we are God's plan A, that there are people in our lives who need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And, and there is a really good possibility if they don't hear it from us, if they don't get a clear demonstration and a credible witness through our lives, that they may not get another chance. That, that we're God's plan A. There isn't a plan B. That, that we are called to labor. We are call, called to work in the harvest. And if we don't believe that, if we don't believe that we're God's plan A and there is no plan B, we lose that urgency. We lose that sense of urgency. Jesus had compassion on the crowds, and, and he immediately turned to his disciples, and he says, pray earnestly. He didn't just say, hey, um, add this to your prayer list. He said, pray earnestly. Do you sense the urgency in Jesus' voice? That there, is, there is a world out there. There's, there's a harvest out there that is plentiful, and there are, there, the workers are few. There, there is a need, so earnestly pray that God would send workers into the harvest. We also see God's heart here is to help the harassed and the helpless. Even though many will reject the message of Christ, His heart is to help them. We don't get something out of it every time we help someone, do we? You ever help someone that didn't seem very appreciative? Makes you want to take it back, don't you? <laughs> I just need you to say thank you at least, right? Have you ever, you, you know what I mean? But we don't, we, as, as followers of Christ, as believers, we don't help people to get something out of it. We ran a food pantry back in Arkansas, and we had the same people every week, almost every, every coming in, and they, they would tell their friends, and, and for the most part, these people just used the food pantry as an excuse not to live responsible. And it irritated me. It irritated me so much. I didn't lie, and I, and I remember having a, just a, a, a heartfelt moment with the Lord where, where it's the Lord's heart to help, even if we don't get it, even, even if they're there for the wrong reasons, even if we, we, we are called to help. We are called to help those who are harassed, who are helpless. Do you remember the story in, 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 in Luke chapter 17 where Jesus healed ten lepers, but only one came back to give thanks to God? So not everyone, even who Jesus healed, remained faithful to him. So, so we have to realize that God's heart is to help those who are in need. God's heart is to help the harassed and the helpless. And we must get passionate about what God is passionate about. We have to, we have to move in near to what God is, is, is passionate about and compassionate about. We have to. And when we begin to get compassionate and passionate about what God's passionate about, there are incredible things on the horizon. There are, there are incredible things. Our prayer starts having power. When you start praying for people to get saved, our prayer all of a sudden just gets fueled with power. Because that's what God wants. God wants the lost to be found. 
God wants to make a difference in people's lives. When we start praying for God to help make us a, a better witness, when we start praying for God to, to open up doors and opportunities for ministry, all of a sudden prayers start getting answered, don't they? It's a funny thing because that's what God's heart is. is, is that's what's near and dear to his heart. And so when we get passionate about what he's passionate about, man, our prayers have power. They have revelation. And people's hearts start opening up to the truth of God. I remember there was a person I was working with that was just, for lack of a better word, a knucklehead. (laughs) And I remember just praying that God would open their heart. I remember a pastor said, hey, well, you, just need, you, need, you need to pray. You need to prepare. Because I, I wanted to go into work and stand up on the desk and preach a sermon. But that didn't, they, don't look, they frown upon that. They don't like that. But, but what I started doing is I started praying that God would prepare this person's heart. And I kid you not, over a period of time, spiritual conversations started coming up with this person. And I had opportunity after opportunity to, to begin ministering. And see, when we get passionate about helping a lost person or, or reaching a lost person, when we get excited about that, when we get urgent about that, it, our prayers start having power and people's hearts start opening up to the truth of God. We also need to remember that the harvest belongs to the Lord. The harvest belongs to the Lord. Jesus said it. He said, he said pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So the harvest belongs to the Lord. This isn't a competition among churches. This isn't something that you, should, you shouldn't labor and get involved in ministry because a pastor asks you to. Right? We, 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 the, the harvest belongs to the Lord. We get, one of the biggest struggles we have as ministers is getting people to do ministry. That's, what, that's your job. That's what we pay you to do. <laughs> Actually, you pay us to get you in gear and get you involved in ministry. Actually... But, but that it, it's, it's because we've forgotten that the harvest belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to Relevant Church. It doesn't belong to Pastor Jeff. Pastor Jeff called and asked me to do something, and I didn't want to do it, and I'm mad at him. Because putting me on the spot, making me feel guilty. Well, but it's the Lord's harvest. It's the Lord's harvest. And, and Jesus said, pray earnestly that, that, that the Lord of the harvest would send so, so maybe, maybe God has put pastors in position and spiritual leaders in position to inspire you and, and, to, and to speak through those people into your heart so that maybe in a sermon like today you realize, hey, I need to be doing something. And now the Lord of the harvest is, is sending workers into his harvest. People hear the word and their hearts open to it and they begin to embrace it. And all of a sudden the prayer is being answered that Jesus instructed us to pray. Paul touches on this a little bit in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So Paul is saying there was this big dispute on, on who baptized who. People were saying, well, Paul baptized me, so, hey, Paul baptized me. Some Apollos, and, and Paul and Paul's saying, hey, it doesn't matter. 
This is the Lord's harvest. <laughs> the Lord's the one who made it grow. It doesn't matter if, 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 if I spoke the word to you or if Apollo spoke the word to you or, or whatever, if I watered it and I helped it grow. Or, but the Lord's the one who gave it the increase. And so he's the one. He, it, we're, we're his fellow workers. It's the Lord's harvest. So since it's the Lord's harvest, why is there such a lack of laborers? Why is there such a lack? If, if, if it's the Lord's harvest, why, why aren't more people involved? Why aren't more people involved in the ministry? I believe that it's because too many believers have become dysfunctional. Now, before you get offended, when something is dysfunctional, it simply isn't operating at the level that it was created to operate at. Did you catch that? When something is dysfunctional, it simply isn't operating at the level that it was created to operate. Now, here's the consequence of that in a spiritual sense. Is that a life that was meant to be the light of the world is just struggling to survive. A life that was meant to make a difference in the world for the cause and the kingdom of God is just trying to keep itself in between the ditches. Because the church culture that we have, we, we, that, has, that, is, that has kind of developed is this consumerism. It is this, where we come to church and we hope that the worship set speaks to us. And, and ministers to our need. Or we hope the, the pastor's sermon ministers to our need. And speaks into our situation when, when that's not what we were created for. We were created to labor. We were created to go. We were created to, to make a difference. And a life that was meant to be the life of the world is now just struggling to survive. We have become inward focused. How many church fights have we seen over music? How many church fights have you heard about over style of music or, or whether or not you turn the lights down during worship? Or, or what, and what it has happened is, is we have, we, we've grown up in this culture of the church where, where we, we've become consumers and not laborers. We've become consumers where we want our preferences met. And there's so many churches that you can shop your preferences now. And, and, and there used to be something called generational loyalty to a church. I don't know if it's called that. I just made that up. But you know what I mean? We're like, that was my grandma's church. And, and I grew up in the church. And I, but now, if something happens in the church that we don't like or that rubs us the wrong way, we go down the street. It's a dysfunction. It's not what we were created for. We're not operating at a level. When we come in looking, well, that sermon didn't speak to me, or that worship didn't speak to me, or it's not about you. It's never been about you. The church was designed to labor. The church was designed to work and to go and not consume. And if we're not careful, we become so inward focused that we cannot even begin to think about helping other people who are in need. We become so inward focused. This is a dysfunction. This isn't what we were created for. And I want to give you four reasons why I believe that believers aren't operating at the level that they were created to. And here's, here's where you can take some notes. Reasons a believer isn't operating at the level they were created to. Number one, grace has become an excuse to remain the way that they are. 
Grace has become an excuse to remain the way that they are. Titus chapter 2 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Well, that sounds fruitful, doesn't it? One of my favorite old hymns is Grace That Is Greater Than Our Sin. You know that song? I'm going to try to sing it, but I've got some stuff here. Like, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Y'all heard it? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. I love that song. It's one of my favorite. And we love to celebrate the grace of God, don't we? Because it reminds us of who we were, and, and it reminds us of the, of, the, of the change that has taken place. But can I tell you something? Grace isn't just a plan to forgive you. It's a plan to transform you from the inside out. Notice what Paul says. He says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, comma, comma. Something's coming after the grace doesn't just bring salvation for all people, comma, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives. So the same grace that saved us is the same grace that's supposed to train us, transform us. Have you ever, <laughs> I didn't go there, I almost said, uh, have you ever potty trained somebody? Um, we're about to have to deal with that here, not, not just yet, but pretty soon. But I remember we had some dogs, so I can I can reference our dogs. They weren't inside, so this wasn't a potty train. But um, I remember spending so many hours disciplining and 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 just working with our dogs to where they I didn't have to chase them down every time it was time to go back in the pen. I, I started off having to chase them down, and I finally got to a point after. After hours of, of, of beating my head against the wall, after, after disciplining them and all kinds of stuff, where all I had to do was say pin and they would run and get in the pin. I felt powerful. Say pin and they'd just run and get in the pen. Then I got them where they would go in their house. I'd say house because they'd get out and bark at stuff. And I'd say house and they'd get in the house. And even when we let them stay inside, sometimes that they would know what couch was and different things. I could just kind of say words and it was almost like they could understand English. But I thought about that, and I thought, you know, that was a painful process. And there were many times they didn't listen. There were many times that, that, that it didn't work out. But there came a point where they were trained. And it was a beautiful moment. <laughs> and so grace doesn't demand perfection from us. But it's supposed to be training us. As I thought about this, I thought, you know, I'm not the person I used to be. I look back on my life, and, and the person I used to be was so sinful. And, was, and was, I, I struggled with a deep depression that no one knew about. I, I had all kinds of different things. And I remember coming to the Lord and, 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 and committing my life to the Lord 
And I remember the process. <laughs> I remember a process taking place in my life where I knew that I was forgiven of my sin. I knew that I was saved. But, but God had something more for me. I remember setting up boundaries and accountability in my life. I remember, I remember the training process. I remember, and, and guess, guess what? It's still going on. It's still happening. It's still happening because I, as I thought about that, I thought, you know, I'm not who I was, but I'm also not who I'm supposed to be. I'm not who I was. And I thank God for that. But I'm not who I'm supposed to be either. I'm still walking toward that. I don't look like Christ the way I should. And, and, and grace is training me to renounce ungodliness. See, there's not a, there's not a lot of, of preaching about holy living anymore. Because, because grace has become an excuse to remain the way we are. That God's grace is greater than all my sins, so I don't have to live holy. I don't have to, to, to renounce ungodliness. I don't have to push away from the passions of the world. It's okay. God's gracious. See, that, that's the problem. Is even Paul talks about that, or not Paul, but Jude, he talks about it, he calls it a perversion of the grace of God. How they, how they turn the grace of God into lasciviousness where they just cast it off restraint. Where I don't have, can I tell you something? Jesus didn't die so that you could do whatever you wanted to do. He didn't. He actually died to save us from that. He died because doing whatever I want to do is the root of sinfulness. There was a period in the Bible when the judges were about to come on the scene, where the Bible says everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and it was a terrible world. It was a terrible place. So if, if left to our own devices, we, we would destroy ourselves. But, but the grace of God has not only appeared to bring salvation, but it's appeared to train us to renounce and, and to teach us and, and to raise us up to be self-controlled, fruitful believers. That's the purpose. That's the purpose of God's grace. The grace that saved you is the same grace that is meant to transform you for a divine purpose. Did you know that you have a purpose? When God saved you, he didn't just save you to get you clean and set you over here. He saved you and, and, and left you in a dirty world. He cleaned you up and, and forgave you and, he, and he, he, he transformed you. He's doing all this stuff and then he left you in this dirty world. How dare him? For a purpose. For a reason, because God didn't just save you because he loves you. God saved you because he loves the people around you, too. Some of you are about to get offended. Wait, God loves me. He saved me because he loved me. Yeah, he did. But he loves the people around you, too. And do you realize there are people in your life that are in your life for a reason? And God's grace cannot become an excuse to stay the way that we are. It can't. If there are things in our lives that don't line up with the Bible, there needs to be a process at work in our lives that is training us away from that. That depravity. That's what Jesus died to save us from. That's what he died to, to transform us from. This is the grace of God. So don't just sing about the amazing grace that forgives us that's greater than our sins. Sing, sing about the grace that's changing you from the inside out. What does the Bible say? I'm just bringing this up. Here we go. The Holy Spirit's leading me. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that anyone who is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. Old things are supposed to pass away, and behold, all things are supposed to be made new. You see the transformation? You see the change that's supposed to be taking place? Don't let grace. This is a dysfunction. Here's why we're dysfunctional. We can't let grace become an excuse to remain the way we are. Secondly, another reason why believers aren't operating at that high level is that many don't take the Great Commission personally. 
We don't take the Great Commission personally. Matthew 28, 19 and Mark 16, 17, where Jesus speaks and says, go into all the world. Actually, before that, he says, because I have all authority in heaven and earth, go. Go. I'm sending you into the world to preach the gospel, to make disciples of all nations. We don't take that personally. We say, well, I'm not called to be a missionary, so that's not talking about. No, we're all called to be missionaries. You may not be called to a foreign country. Thank God. I thought about it. Lord, if you ever call me there, I don't want to have to learn another language. I don't. I don't even know how to read music, so I don't want to have to learn. Please don't make me learn another language. Please, Lord. But if he does, I'll go. I'll learn another language. But take the Great Commission personally. We are called to finish the work that Christ started. That's why he left us here. If, if, if he just saved us and we're forgiven and we're ready to go, what, what's our purpose here? Why are we, We're here for a reason. Take the Great Commission personally. We must regain this sense of awareness that, that what we do in and for the kingdom of God is vital. That we are here for a reason. That we are here for a purpose. And there are people in our lives. We've got to have eyes that are spiritual, that are seeing this. That, that, that as we go through the world... One time I preached a sermon called As You Go. Instead of go into the world, it's as you go. (laughs) That as you go to the grocery store, as you go to work, as you go to school, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. (coughs) Because that's what we're called to do. It's the Great Commission. We are all called. Take it personal. Take it personal. If not, if you don't, it's a dysfunction among believers. Number three, another reason why we're not operating at a high level is that Many believe they're not spiritual enough to mentor others. There's a pen. That was a joke. Wow. Is that you, though? I felt that way. Many believe they're not spiritual enough to mentor others. That's a dysfunction. The church has lasted for more than 2,000 years because of mentorship. Because of mentorship. Well, I don't know enough about the Bible. I, I, don't, I don't know the key scriptures. I, I don't. Did you know everyone can increase their knowledge of God's word? That's a cop-out. That's an excuse I don't think is going to hold water. We are all called to, to, to be bringing other people along. Like how Pastor Jeff says it, is that there should be people below us that we're bringing up. There should be people around us that we're bringing in. There should be people above us that we're, that we're drawing from. And that makes a cross, doesn't it? And, but but that, 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 that's the reality of what should be happening. When, when mentorship starts slipping, so do morals. I'll get to that in a second before I get ahead of myself. We have a responsibility to bring others. It's not just the pastor's job. Some of the people that you're supposed to be bringing along do not belong in this congregation. It's not about making relevant church big. This is the Lord's harvest. This is about the grand scheme of things, and, 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 and we're doing something here, right? We're, we're, we're a part of it. And maybe you come here and you get juiced up and you go out into the world and, you, and you're doing something. Praise God. But there are people in your life that you should be mentoring. 
You're further along. You've experienced things that they're maybe about to experience or, or whatever. But, but the Lord has a purpose for the different things in our lives. And we are supposed to be involved in mentorship. And if you think you're not ready to, to, or you're not spiritual enough, then get plugged into a Connect Up group. Then show up at Coffee Talk. Then, then get, get a counseling session with your pastor. Do something to get yourself ready because it's not, you're not going to be able to use this excuse that I'm not spiritual enough or I don't know enough about the Word. We all, if there's one thing that we all can do is we can all learn more about the Word of God and we can all grow close, closer to Jesus. And that's what we need to do to be effective mentors. Number four, another reason why I believe there's such a dysfunction we're not operating at that high level, is that Christ's return has lost its urgency. Christ's return has lost its urgency. I've noticed something in the new generation. They don't worry a whole lot about the imminence of Christ's return. And, and the youth, youth that, I, that I talk to, man, when I was in youth group, I was scared to death about getting left behind. But there's not a lot of talk about it. It's been talked about for so long that it's lost its effectiveness, maybe. I remember when I was growing up, I remembered if my parents were late for something or whatever, just getting worried, thinking that the rapture had happened. And I got left behind. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, I appreciate that. (laughs) Because there was an urgency. We were preaching about it. We were talking about it more. We've got to start talking about it more. And you know what? Something happened in the Assemblies of God that I'm not proud about. Is this, probably about ten years ago, this big debate hit the, the general council floor where they're trying to change doctrine and stuff. And it was over this. It was, it was about saying that there are, there are so many scriptures that say that Jesus could return before the tribulation or, or in the middle of the tribulation or at the end of the tribulation. There's this big push, especially in people my age, that are pushing that the, that the rapture of the church or the appearing of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus is going to happen right after the end of the tribulation. And I had a, even a friend that I debated over this with. And, and, I, and, I, and, and it finally, at one point, I just, I just said to him, the point is, it really doesn't matter when the rapture happens. The point is, we need to be ready. So why are we talking about it? Why are we talking about that? Why are we arguing about that? Why are we trying to change things around? And, and I believe it was the enemy's attempt to take away the urgency. If we believe that, that there's going to be a seven-year period before Christ, before the rapture of the church, then we could almost put it on the calendar when Jesus is going to come back. When Jesus said there's no, no, no one, no one's going to, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to get into that. My bad. I didn't mean to go there. But here's the point. Here's the point. We have to have urgency because at any moment we could be in the face of Jesus. And I'm not over here trying to push pre-trib because it may be post-trib. I don't know. Revelations is a a hard book to interpret. Maybe it is. Maybe. But here's what I know. I could die. (laughs) And at any moment, we could be in the face of Jesus. And we've got to keep that urgency. We've got to keep that. And and I think one of the dysfunctions among believers is we've lost the urgency of Christ's return. We don't really believe that he could come back today. I remember in a church service where, we, where the, the, it got so intense where we didn't know. We thought the rapture had happened before Sunday night service came. We thought, oh, he's coming back. You know, Obama just got elected president. He's coming back. No, no I'm just kidding. 
That was bad. I shouldn't have went there. But seriously, we believed it. And now we have this generation that doesn't. And we can say it. We can try to scare them and dangle them over hell. But, but it's lost its urgency. But I want to take you back to Titus where Paul talks about the grace of God. Notice what he says also. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Lost my place. Number 13. Verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Do you hear the words of Paul? Declare these things, exhort them, rebuke people, do what you got to do. Don't let anyone disregard you. Because the grace that has appeared that brings salvation is training you, it's transforming you. And, and guess what? While we're waiting on the appearing, while we're waiting on the blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, there, there has to be an urgency uh, that, that Christ could come back, that we could be wrong. That's what I told one of my friends that I was debating with. Is I said, I, I, I'm not going to be dogmatic about it. I don't know. It could, you could be right, but here's what I know. I could die, right? But at any moment, I could be in the face of Jesus. And that's what matters. So, and and, you know, here's a problem with not believing and not having urgency on Christ's return is that people don't put an emphasis on living holy. And this isn't about legalism. Come on, I'm not preaching that you you need to share the convictions that I have or or, or there's this, this, this black and white. Listen, the grace of God is training. We all have our different struggles. We all have our different hiccups. We all need different work in different areas of our lives. So don't, don't misinterpret me today. But I'm telling you, God expects us to live holy. He expects it. And we should be living our lives in such a way that, is, that, is, that the grace of God, we are so amazed by it. And it's changing us and it's transforming us. And as a result of that, we're bearing fruit and we're living holy and we're walking around. And, and, and we're waiting for the appearing of Christ Jesus. There's an urgency because if we believe Jesus could come back at any moment, maybe we need to go talk to our neighbor about Jesus. See, it's not just about us. It's about the harvest. It's about the need for laborers in the harvest. Here's the goal. This is the goal. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 through 8. says, blessed is the man or woman. Blessed is the person who trusts in the Lord. And get this, whose trust is the Lord. I like that. I don't just trust in the Lord for my salvation. My trust is the Lord. Every aspect of my life. Everything. Get this, they are like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. And does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green. And is not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. This is the goal. That we would be planted. By streams of living water. That we would get. That we would move in close to Jesus. 
And as a result of that, we don't have to worry about the circumstances around us. We are plugged into a source that's going to that's going to keep us bearing fruit. Whether it's season or not season, <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to be bearing fruit. Why? Because we're close to Jesus. That's the message, and that's that's what we all can do. You know, as I, as I preach this, I thought, I don't know that I've ever preached a sermon where everyone in the audience is subject to it. <laughs> Maybe I have. But, but this is, as I thought about it, I thought, man, I need to get closer to Jesus. I thought that. And I, I repented last night. I cried, and I thought, Lord, I have, I have moved away from you. Just, just subcontinent, not, not intentionally, not meaning, not, not, not trying to, but, but, but I've got to be close to Christ. I've got to move in close. I've got to be planted near him if I want to bear fruit because that's the goal. And, and these things, I can't use grace as an excuse not to change. God expects me to change. God expects the things that, that I'm struggling with. I can tell you this for sure, is, is the things I used to struggle with, I don't struggle with anymore. And that is a product of grace. And that should be a continual thing. The things I struggle with now as an adult are different than things I struggle with as a, as a teenager, young adult. Right? So there is this process that's going on. So God expects that. And, and, and I've got to start mentoring people. You know the best way to get your focus off yourself is to try to help other people. I, I, I remember sitting in a counseling session one time, and it was just constantly... This person was just crying out all their needs and all their... their and I, I remember just saying, you know, maybe you need to get involved in ministry. Maybe not in a spiritual leadership position, but you just need to start helping. Get your focus off yourself. You sit around and focus on all your problems. We're all going to get depressed. We will. And I don't know how counselors do it. No wonder they get paid hundreds of dollars an hour. Because you sit in that environment very long, it pulls you down. And there is a, a, a severe dysfunction among believers where we are so focused on ourselves, our problems, and we've forgotten there is a harvest that is plentiful. And the laborers are few. And we are supposed to be, if nothing else, praying earnestly that the Lord of the harvest. Can you, you See, we can pray. You may say, well, I'm not able-bodied. Well, you can pray. Pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest would send workers into his harvest. Now listen, I believe some of you have hurts and problems and, and I want to encourage you to keep going. I, I don't want this message to be a message that beats you over the head. It's not meant to call you out. It's not meant to punish you. It's, it's not meant to make you feel bad for not operating at the level that you, sh- that you should be operating at. It's a calling to evaluate yourself. It's a calling to invite God's healing into your life. God's grace into your life. To let him fix whatever's broken. So that you can operate at that high level. Whatever's malfunctioning, let him repair it. Let him fix it. It's a calling to recalibrate yourself to the mission. To the mission. To focus on the need, the mission. It's a calling to get closer. It's a calling to get closer. I feel, and I'm about to close. Oh, I'm early. I feel, I am closing. That at least part of God's vision for his church is that all around the globe, believers would go to work in his harvest field with a sense of urgency and awareness of the needs around them. While they're bearing fruit, while grace is transforming them, we walk around and all the world can see how great our God is. 
And one of, the, one of the best ways the world can see how great our God is is when we go through difficult times. And, man, we like to have a meltdown when we go through difficult times. I, I about had a meltdown when I was sick. I'm the biggest baby when I'm sick. I can't handle it. But, you know, it sidelines you. It, 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 you're not operating at the level you're created to operate at. But it, there's this crazy thing that happened in the New Testament church is they were persecuted more severely than we could ever imagine, and they were, they were filled with joy. And the church was added to daily, those being saved. And they, they, all, they had all things in common. They were selling stuff and putting all the money together. Now we tell you to give an offering, Christmas gift for Jesus, and you get offended. Maybe not. Or we talk about giving, and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa I can't. But, but see, what were we created for? The church. Not meant to be consumers. We've got to break out of that. We've got to break out of that. We've got to start getting involved in our community more. We've got to start reaching out. Take the focus off ourselves. Don't get me started on that. I'll start knocking on doors. Dogs will start chasing me out. I mean, hey, I've, I've been chased by almost dog bit several times. <laughs> Funny story. I won't go there. But I remember not feeling like it didn't accomplish anything, but it just felt good being out doing something for the Lord. And I think we've got to have that kind of awareness, that kind of urgency. Can we leave here? Can we have? Can we live 2020 like that? That, that? There are things. Listen, let's be honest. There are things that we need to change. There are things that, that we need God's healing. But don't get overwhelmed by that. Leave here filled with hope that God can change us, that God will change us, because He has a purpose. He wants you to work. He wants you to labor. Because the harvest is plentiful. There are people that are helpless and they're harassed. And he cares about them. And some of them are going to come into his family. And we're going to be a part of that process. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Bow your heads, please. I don't want to keep you much longer because I've run out of notes. I've run out of cool things to say. What I've already said today, though, I feel the need to say it again. When we get passionate about what God is passionate about, incredible things are on the horizon. What does 2020 hold? We would never know. There's a very good chance that if we embrace this message, God starts going to work in our lives. Before this year is up, there is someone that might be welcomed into the kingdom of God because of your credible witness of Jesus Christ. The fruit that God develops in your life isn't for you to enjoy. It's for the world to see. It's for the world to take part in. We don't love people because they agree with us. We love people because Jesus loves people. And he loved us. We don't help people because we get something out of it. We labor and we work because God has been so gracious to us. And it's his harvest. And the needs that we see, the, the lives that are won, the souls that are won, the lives that are touched, they belong to Him. 
And if we love him, we'll take the focus off of us and we'll put it on his harvest. It's all around us. Open your eyes. That's going to be my prayer today. That the Lord would open our eyes. Because we may be, we, maybe we can physically see, but we haven't been perceiving. Let's pray that God would give us a heart for the lost. So much so that we make sacrifices. That we take risks that we never would have taken. Because it's that important. Because it's that urgent. What if Jesus came back today? What if we lived like that again? Not in a fearful way, but in an urgent way. That opportunities that present, we don't avoid any longer. We believe there's not a plan B. I have this conversation with you because God ordained it. Because God cares about you. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray right now for our church, for we, the church, that you would give us a heart, Lord, that is filled with your love and with your compassion. Forgive us for what we've made church. We're all guilty. We're all guilty of making it something it shouldn't have been. Let 2020 be different. Let it be a year where we become relevant as you define it, where we become involved in the process, where the size of the mission is more important than the size of the crowd, where growth happens from within. Lord, that at the end of the day, our desire would be to please you. Whatever may pass, whatever lies in front of us, Lord, you would be pleased with our lives. Open our eyes, God, to see the needs around us. Go to work in our lives to transform us into that image of Jesus so that we can bear fruit that would remain. That a life that was meant to be the light of the world would be the light of the world. That many would see our good deeds and they would turn and glorify you, the Father in heaven. Thank you so much, Lord. Fill us with hope, Lord. You're doing something today. There's a shift happening today. Before this seed, before this word is snatched away, Lord, help us to embrace it right now. To receive it. To make some commitments. To make some resolutions, Lord. You are worth it all. I pray these things today, Father, in Jesus' name. One more thing, something I was going to say, one more cool thing. I looked up the definition of relevant last year when I was talking to a series of the youth. You know what relevant means? If you Google it, the first definition will come up. It'll say, closely connected, apparent to the times. And I kind of put a spin on that when I was teaching the youth. I thought, in order for us to be relevant youth, we've got to be closely connected to Jesus. That, that, that's our relevance. If we're going to be the church, if we're going to be effective laborers in the harvest, it starts with an intimacy. We all can do that. We're all without excuse when it comes to that. Let's be relevant, amen?
Let's be relevant. Thank you for coming. Come back next week. The Chiefs beat the Texans. We'll all be in a good mood. Go Patriots. What? Sorry. All right. Thank you. See you next week.